Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Our popular football by numbers series on Pigskin Dispatch continues as we go to jersey number 87 and the best players in NFL history to wear that number as Jeremy McFarlane of the Football Family Podcast joins us and we have Jeremy's words coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of Pigskin Dispatch, and welcome to another edition of the Football by Numbers. And tonight's jersey number is the jersey number 87. And uh, boy, we have some great people to talk about, some great players in NFL history for the last 101 plus years of NFL. And I have our good friend, Jeremy McFarlane from the Football's Family Podcast on Sports History Network to help us out here because it's such a big number. Uh, Jeremy McFarlane, welcome back to the Pigpen. Hey, Darren, thank you for letting me back on here. You know, uh, I see you've uh, cleaned up the place nice and, and nice and neat. I like it. Yeah, yeah we got all the, the bales of hay and all the, the corn cobs in a row here. So we knew you were coming. So we want to well, make sure we yeah. tied it up here for you. Growing up here in Tennessee, my granddad had some pigs. And I tell you what, they don't keep a uh, clean place. So you, you do a great job with yours. <laughs> okay. Jeremy, I wanted to just touch base with you because we haven't got the chance to the great pleasure of talking to you in a while. How are things going over on the uh, Football's Family podcast? And uh, <clears throat> what, what have you had out come out lately? Well, I am uh, I am humbled and just in awe of the fact that I've had fifty episodes so far, fifty, and it's uh, congratulations. It's a, you, thank you. It's 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 uh, it's gone by really quickly, and I've enjoyed every bit of it. The last one we had was we talked about the nineteen forty seven Steelers. Uh, it's a guy that you need to get on your show. You would enjoy it. Uh, and then uh, the week before that, or the, the time before that, we talked about the flood that hit us just a couple of three weeks ago here in Waverly. Uh, and, and, you know, we're looking at having some uh, in the next little bit, having somebody come on and talk about fantasy football. So we've got some things coming up in, in, in the uh, in the pipeline. Yeah, I, I listened to that 1947 Steelers episode you had on about a week ago. Yeah, that, that was pretty good. That guy was uh Real, real entertaining. I, I never would have thought of anybody writing about the 1947 Steelers, but he really made a really compelling case for them and uh, pretty interesting. Well, I'm, I'm getting the book hopefully in the next few days. So I'll let you know what, what I think about it. But, uh, you know, I'll give it to the Steelers. It's okay to read a book about the Steelers. It is. You know, this is a this is like my dream come true because you had that that episode, uh, 1947 Steelers on uh, Arnie Chapman, a football history dude. He just had the Mike Webster story play on this past week here as we're recording, uh, you know, and he actually said 
the Pittsburgh Steelers, one of the greatest football teams of all time. I I'm recording that. And I think that's going to be my new ringtone for, for Arnie Chapman. Now he, <laughs> did he have to kind of swallow that down a little bit when he said no, it? I think he sounded pretty gleeful about it. So I, I'm, <laughs> I'm taking that. I think he's a, he's a fan. <laughs> well, I, I, I'll tell you what, when you look at the grand scheme of things in the NFL, you cannot say the seventies, you cannot speak about the seventies or really uh, the two thousands without the Steelers. So at least you got that, you know, yeah. for, I said it, it came out. I, I, I know I got to live high on the hog while the, the water's low here, because, uh, you know, I know bad times probably got to hit one of these, these years. And I'm hoping uh, maybe I can outlast it here, but we, we've been very blessed and fortunate as Steelers fans. That's for sure. We're spoiled. Ever since 1969, you really haven't had that many bad times. You know, you haven't had that. You've had, uh, you know, three great coaches, uh, and I think Mike Tomlin will be in the Hall of Fame myself. I think he will be. You've had pretty solid quarterbacks, a running game that uh, has been very impressive, and a defense that I don't know if it's the steel curtain from the 70s, but it's it's pretty close. So, uh, you know, you, you, you're you spoiled rotten is what it is. That's what I, I have I, to say about the Pittsburgh Steelers fans. I, I Stand uh, convicted of that. I am. You're right. I am. I and all other Steelers fans uh, in my lifetime are very spoiled. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you know, we we have people here who lost their air conditioner, and I said, you know what? I like air conditioning, and I'm spoiled rotten. I don't know if I'd live back before air conditioning. I am spoiled rotten with air conditioning and indoor plumbing. <laughs> that that's for sure. I mean, I can remember those days uh, when I was a kid. We didn't have air conditioning and you know, one television in the house. And probably a good segue into some of these players we're going to be talking about because yes. a lot of them we're going to be talking about are from that era of the 1970s. Yeah, and, and one in particular. We'll get to him in a minute. I I remember, and there goes there goes my son's uh, my son's dog. But I remember watching some of the film and seeing a defensive player with the 87 and i thought that's kind of funny yeah we we have a real good one to talk about tonight i think uh maybe two of them to talk about definitely one that had 87 i'm gonna let you talk and i'm gonna let him out of his cage here so he won't be if you've got a husky you understand when i say that he is howling they're not just barking they're howling i'll be right back go ahead darren and, and talk amongst yourself you know we have a good start off where we always start off of and that is the pro football hall of fame and who they say wore the number 87. And the Pro Football Hall of Fame, they give us Willie Davis and Dave Casper, you know, two great names in NFL history. Um, you, know, you, can't, uh, you can't deny these guys of being in the Hall of Fame. And we probably have uh, two or three more uh, that will probably be in the Hall of Fame before too long. Uh, I'm saying maybe three. Uh, we'll probably see in our lifetime be in the Hall of Fame. But so far, just two players, uh, Willie Davis and Dave Casper, in the Hall of Fame. Dave Casper, I just love – now, Now, many people probably listen to this. They don't understand how great of a player Casper was. And the one thing about him that I really enjoy is when you look at his stats, he doesn't jump out as a – you can't compare him to Gronkowski or Gonzalez. You can't do that. You have to keep in mind when he played, but he was Kenny Stabler's most reliable pass catcher next to Bolitnikov. And the one thing I remember, the Ghost of the Post, of course, everybody knows about the Ghost of the Post, but when you look at the, the Raiders in the 70s, Casper is head and shoulders. He has to be up there in the top five of all times uh, Raiders players from the 70s. 
Oh, I, I definitely agree with you. And not only the goes to the post play, but he also was part of the Holy Roller play. Uh, and yeah. even his good, good parts, uh, you know, this great. Now, now that, that Holy Roller play hurts my head even thinking about it now. How in the world did they not see that Kenny Stabler purposely pushed that ball forward? It, it, well, it wasn't a rule that you couldn't do it in particular. I mean, it was like very on the outskirts of being, you know, shady. Well, you know, the, what did what did Al Davis say? Uh, rule number one, cheat. Rule number two, look at rule number one. <laughs> I don't know if he quite said that, but uh, they, they definitely pushed the line quite a bit. Uh, they did. Raiders did. And that's was part of their mystique and still their mystique. You know, they were they were they loved wearing black and uh you know, just like the the old uh, cowboy movies, you know the, the the good guys were white, the bad guys were black, and they lo- they personified that. They they loved to to have that personification, and uh, you know they they played, they came to play, they hit hard, and they had some tough players like Dave Casper to, to do it. Now, you, when you say that, um, I think when you're saying he doesn't compare, Dave Casper doesn't compare to Gronkowski and Gonzalez and well, okay. Antonio Gates, but I mean the hardware and the way he was celebrating the NFL. He is up there. He went five. Well, I'm, I'm saying that pros. if you were to look at the stats, okay. See, I have right here. Let me see if I can pull it up here. Rob Gronkowski's stats, just for right now. Gronk has, as of right now, he's played ten seasons. Of course, many of his seasons have been cut short because of how he plays. He has been targeted, according to ESPN.com, 872 times, 566 receptions for 8,484 yards and 86 touchdowns. Now, that's insane. Now, you might see something different, but that's what I have right now. And then you have to also consider playing in the playoffs. Now, if you were to look at Casper's – let me pull up Casper's uh, stats. You can't just look at him and say, well, he doesn't – he doesn't – him and Gronk are not in the same boat. Casper had, uh, according to Pro Football Reference, in 147 games, he has – 378 receptions for 5,216 yards. Now, you think, well, is Gronk that much better? No. The passing game, uh, as everybody knows, you know, the passing game has changed over the years where the running back is devalued. The passing game is better because of the five-yard rule, plus a lot easier, uh, a lot more uh, lax on the uh, calls and things like that, and the quarterbacks have gotten better. Most definitely. I mean, you have with the passing game in the modern era is done. It's made so there's more plays per game. So the offenses has more opportunities, which the NFL loves because it's, uh, you know, offense is everything that sells tickets and puts people's uh, butts in their TV chairs watching the, the screen. But you know, Dave, what I'm saying is Dave Casper compares and his for his era. If you look at it, Gronkowski has five Pro Bowls and four All Pros. So is Dave Casper. I mean, I know Gronk could still get more. But they're, they're very comparable in the way that they oh, were recognized by the league. For the, absolutely, they are. But when, when people say, "Well, you look at the catches," you can't compare the catches. You can't compare the yards. You can't compare the touchdowns. Each one of them in their time were amazing or are amazing. And who knows? In twenty years, uh, Gronk's numbers might be eclipsed by somebody. You you don't know. I mean, it's just it's just insane to look at how. You know, Kenny Stabler. Kenny Stabler was not your prototypical quarterback. He's not a Tom Brady. But for what he did in his time, you know, he won. And and I would say the same thing for uh, somebody like Dave Casper, who uh, many people probably don't know who he is, but they really should because you can't really talk about the history of 
the 70s, especially without saying Dave Casper. Uh, most definitely. He, he and the Raiders were such a force for so many years, you know, that, that whole decade of the seventies and late sixties, even when they were in the AFL, uh, you know, and the early eighties, I mean, it just carried on. They were, when you talk about dynasties, they, they were just uh, in it every single year, oh, absolutely. Uh, fighting tooth and nail, you know, and, uh, and many of them, Many of them against my Steelers. You know, and, and I'll tell you teams. this, the Steelers, if, if there is not another reason why people out there dislike the Steelers, your Cowboys fans and your Raiders fans from the 70s know that they would have had more Super Bowls if it wasn't for the Steelers. Just just keep that in mind, uh, Cowboy and uh, Raiders fans. It's because they're in Steelers that you don't have as many Super Bowls. <laughs> just Just saying. Well, I, I take pride in that, though. That's I know. You do. <laughs> I just doesn't hurt my feelings at all to hear you say that. He's <laughs> like, yeah, what's your point, you know? <laughs> but I'll tell you what, Dave Casper, and, and the reason why he's called Ghost of the Post, if you don't know, it's Casper the Friendly Ghost. Dave Casper is one of those guys I think needs to be have more attention. But I've got another guy that I want to bring up, and yeah. if I could do that right now. Sure. And I got him right here. I had to go up to my office to get him. And I'm holding in my hand a Kevin Dyson bobblehead. And I have right here, Aaron, a book that I had to dig to find. It's the Tennessee Titans, Tennessee team, the pictorial history, the Titans. Kevin Dyson is the man who ran back the Music City Miracle. That's right. Yeah. He is also the man who was who caught Steve McNair's last pass in the Super Bowl and was one yard short. And when I looked up Kevin Dyson's stats, his stats are not going to blow you away. They will say that he is the same height as Mike Jones, who tackled him. And I thought, well, that's actually kind of funny that they would mention that. But uh, – and I'm going to make sure you can you can hear me right here. Kevin Dyson, most of the Titans running uh, – a team back when he was playing had nothing to do with the pass. It was Eddie George. But – Kevin Dyson had a year where in uh, in 99, he had 54 receptions for 658 yards and four touchdowns. Overall, he had, uh, according to Pro Football Reference, it's uh, 2,300 yards and uh, 18 touchdowns. Not necessarily what you would call jaw-dropping, but for me, Kevin Dyson will always have that place that I remember what he did for us. I can definitely tell uh, every everybody in your world down there's got real excited since I talked about. It. I'm hearing you know all kinds of growling and cheering from the Titans fans down there going on. So yeah, <laughs> things, are, things are going on and real strong in support yeah, of Kevin Dyson. Yeah, yeah, they he, are very excited about Kevin Dyson for some reason. <laughs> I think it, once you got that bobblehead out, that's uh, that, that's all the activity started. started here. But we yeah. don't, you know, Kevin Dyson will not probably be in your top ten. He he only had about a five or six year career, but he is doing good work right now in Nashville. And uh, in fact, one of the things that I enjoy about him is that he is very much uh, he's active on Twitter, and he does pay attention when people mention him. So hey, you know, I'm I'm happy to hear about that. That's one of those things I like about people like that who who recognize what fans like them. Yeah, that, that definitely. You know, he, he was a great player. I mean, I I don't think he got much of the credit that he should have uh, when he was playing because maybe it's because his career was so short. But he was effective when he did play. You know, there's plenty of players that uh, only played a few years in the league for whatever reason throughout history. But the ones that were really effective, you remember, and Dyson's uh, definitely a name I remember. And it's been 20 years since he's played. Yeah, it, 
his his problem was he played alongside a guy named Derek Mason, and Derek Mason was uh, a five star athlete or five tool athlete before we really thought about somebody like uh, you know a Devin Hester, uh, somebody like that. Uh, but Kevin Dyson, uh, I just wanted to throw him out there. Uh, I'm going to represent the uh, 615 here, and <laughs> and I just want to throw him out there. But, yeah, uh, when you look at people like that, I but there's one guy, if I could bring him up right now, Darren, that I enjoy, and I love watching him play. Sure. Uh, now, sadly, he passed away just a few years ago. Dwight Clark. Yes. Now, definitely. what I say about Dwight Clark is this. He was not the fastest guy nor the most athletic guy. But the one thing that I enjoy watching about him is that if you threw it in his area, he didn't drop passes. I mean, I think uh, he really showed off that number 87 when he caught that uh, pass in the NFC championship game uh, from Montana to sort of propel the 49ers into their dynasty. Yeah. And if you don't know what that is, it's called, I believe it's called the catch. Yes, it is. And the one thing I love about this is Joe Montana, uh, if you were to watch that play, Joe Montana is falling backwards. And I believe he had Ed Tuchel Jones, and I can't believe I can't remember the other one. But he had two uh, Cowboys bearing down on him, and he falls backwards and tosses the ball. And the reason why he did that is he knew where Dwight Clark would be. It wasn't that he knew that Dwight Clark is – he had that much trust and faith in Dwight Clark to put the ball right where his hands would be. And he also knew how high Dwight Clark could jump. Now, he's, he's kind of like me. You could put a, a credit card underneath my, my jump, and you can measure my jump from that. But for that moment, Joe Montana had that much trust in a guy named Dwight Clark, who was actually, I believe – drafted before yeah i think he was drafted before montana was so he had the chance to see dwight clark play but he had that much faith to know that at the last play to beat the, the cowboys that dwight clark is going to make that reception yeah that that is one of those plays that's uh probably forever being controversy because you have one side that's saying and even montana says no i intentionally threw it to that position and it sounds like just like what you're saying here and you have those that are saying you know montana was throwing the ball away and you know just didn't do it well enough and clark happened to be there and made a great grab i mean well, <laughs> either way i look at i don't care what how it happened it happened, and a guy caught the ball for a touchdown and put his team in a Super Bowl. And like I said, it, it sparked that franchise into a dynasty. Now, now, if I remember correctly, Darren, I might be off on that. That was in 1981. Yes. That season, again, according to Pro Football Reference, he had 85 receptions for 1,105 yards. Those were unheard of at that time. That type of play, that type of catching and receiving yards were pretty much unheard of. And not only did Dwight Clark do it, but he also made sure that that Joe Montana had – it takes a lot for a man or anybody to have that much faith in another person to throw the ball up and know that there's going to be a guy there to catch it. And that tells you who Dwight Clark was to Joe Montana. 
Yeah, definitely. And, and like you said, he wasn't the fastest guy. He, I mean, he was, he was a big, big for a wide receiver, big for a wide receiver in this area, you know, six foot four, 212 uh, during his playing days, but he wasn't a speedster, but he ran good solid routes and he was where he was supposed to be when he was supposed to be. And that's uh, a great thing for a quarterback to know, you know, when you have somebody that's going to be there and be dependable, like you said, that's uh, outstanding for a quarterback. And to really fit the mold, just like the rest of those pieces on the 49ers offense, that West Coast offense that uh, Bill Walsh had, it was uh, very dependent upon, you know, people doing their jobs. And uh, Dwight Clark definitely did. Oh, absolutely. I guess maybe another player that uh, we'll talk about, and we got to talk about, you know, Willie Davis. And Willie Davis is our other Hall of Famer that we have on here. And he, uh, just like uh, Dave Casper, Dave Casper wore the jersey for 11 seasons. Willie Davis wore 87 for 10 seasons. And Willie Davis, uh, an, another guy, you know, it's five Pro Bowls in his career, uh, five All Pros, uh, two Super Bowl champions, uh, Super Bowl one and two with the Green Bay Packers, and five NFL championships, all a decade team of the 1960s, you know, Hall of Famer. And, uh, you know, six foot three, 243 pound defensive and defensive tackle. Now he spent his first two years as a Cleveland Brown and he, uh, you know, wore number 77 during those two years, 1958 and 1959. And we just, uh, had, uh, John Turney on from the pro football journal. And, uh, John is one of the gentlemen that uh, recently him and Nick Webster, his, his cohort on Pro Football Journal, that uh, got the, their stats, their research placed on the Pro Football Reference to recognize sacks between the 1960 season and the 1981 season. Okay. I, I saw that, and I'm glad you clarified that because it says here 99.5 sacks. Yeah. That's insane. It certainly is. And that's without the two seasons for Cleveland. Yes. As, as John Turney, when I, I just had him on uh, the other night, he said, you know, that's what their project is right now. It's their, their white whale. They're trying to grab the same things, the same game books and any game films, you know, which are really sporadic for the 1950s in the NFL to try to get sack totals for, and he doesn't know if he'll ever accomplish it in his lifetime or if anybody will, but he's trying to get those sack totals for the 1950s to add on with that great collection they gave us of the, you know, 20 some years that they did you know, recently. And so he's probably well over a hundred, but we don't know that what he did with those two years with Cleveland for sure. Well, with, when you watch Willie, Willie Davis, um, I remember watching a lot of the, the NFL films of the Green Bay Packers you can't – it's like with Dwight Clark in the early 80s and, and with Dave Casper. You can't really write the Lombardi dynasty without Willie Davis. You can't. Um, he is he is up there uh, with one of the best, you know, defensive players of that era. And the best part about Willie Davis is he had every type of skill that that you can tell. Of course, I've never – I think I might have watched the Super Bowl one and two. Actually, it was Super Bowl one and two. It was World Championship, but very smooth player. You know, you don't have to be fast. You can be smooth and get to a place where you need to be, and you can be really deceptively fast. But he's very smooth, very strong, and very smart player. Uh, well deserving of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and well deserving to be uh, 
on this list, even though he did spend two years wearing number 77. Yeah, uh, most definitely. I mean, just think about that. We have, we have 99 and a half sacks for him only as a Packer. He was a Packer for 10 years. That's 10 sacks per season in an era where he only played 14 games in regular season. And actually his first, first year in green Bay, they only played 12 games. So that's not on the uh, 17 games uh, that we have in today's NFL or the 16 that we just recently had, you know, that's 10 sacks a year in an era. They don't, they didn't pass very much No, and they only had 14 games. <laughs> that's that's you know, unbelievable. What I love about this also is that he, according to pro football reference, he has 22 fumble recoveries. That's, that's awesome. Oh, which, which tells you that that he's a very heady player. You know, he's aware of, of where he is because sometimes you'll see a, a ball pop out and people stand around. Well, when you get 22 fumble recoveries, you're not standing around. You're looking for the ball. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that just sh- tells you what an athlete he was. You know, he's like you say, he's around the ball, jumping on fumbles, getting sacks. I mean, stopping the run. And, you know, it doesn't sound like he's that big by today's standards, six foot three, 243 pounds, but that was a, a pretty big man back in the, that era. You know, that was, that was your, your offensive linemen were only, you know, two thirties, two fifty at the most back in that era. And, uh, you know, so he was definitely up to the task of his athleticism, his size, his strength, just a great player. Well, and, uh, Green, Green Bay was uh, very fortunate to, to get him when they did. Well, that's and, a uh, little bigger than Derek Brooks, and, and I think Derek Brooks did all right as a linebacker. Yeah, yeah, he definitely did. Definitely did. And that's probably what he would be if, if uh, Willie Davis uh, came, played in the modern NFL. That's, he'd probably be a, like an edge rusher or something, I'm, I'm sure, because that's the size I'd love he to is. see, and they didn't keep up with us, but I would love to see his 40. I, I would think that he would have one of those 40s to do like he is deceptively fast. He's not Tom Brady. He's, he's, he's fast. <laughs> I would love to see that because watching him play, like I said, it was very smooth. It, he almost, you would like look at him and turn away and he'd be in another spot. And he was like, how that happened? That's Willie Davis. Yeah. That's a bunch of, that's probably something like we said, uh, you know, John Turney was telling me he, he's got a lot of those stats on pro football journal. I don't have up right now to take a look, but he was even saying, you know, they didn't have the 40 yard dash your time and they were timing them in the hundred. Um, so, you know, anything, you know, sub 10, that was a pretty good time, especially for a lineman. So he, I'm sure he's probably in that, that nine something range. Uh, that's for that's hundred. pretty good going yeah. nine seconds to go a hundred yards. That's better than James Harrison did in the Super Bowl. He, he, uh, he rumbled, stumbled, bumbled all the way down to the 99 yards like that. Um, uh, look at you with another Steelers reference. Huh? I'm, I'm on fire today. It's, <laughs> I've been holding it in for several weeks right those, now. Those 47 Steelers, they got you all fired up. They did. They did. Go, you know, I have a link to that book on my Twitter page. Go and uh, check that out. Uh, but Willie Davis, I, I would definitely put if I had a, a team that I could that I could put people on, Willie Davis would be on the short list. Yeah, I, I agree. And I wanted to make sure you mention that. So I think we're going to both put Willie Davis on our list. I think uh, Casper's our other one that's definitely on the list. Uh, so Casper far. has to be on the list. Yes. Okay. All right. So that's, uh, I just want to make sure that now Dwight Clark will, will and Dyson, we'll leave them as question marks right now. Cause we got a lot of players to talk about. No, no, let, let me, let me put Kevin Dyson as a coin flip. He's going to flip the coin. Okay. All right. Uh, now who, who else uh, would you like to talk about here? That's, that's our hall of famers is Davis and Casper. 
Um, and I said, I think we have maybe three players that are going to probably make the Hall of Fame here in our lifetime. Well, the one that will make it, and I know you'll agree with me, even though it hurts me to say this, Reggie Wayne. Yep, definitely. That's what I'm thinking of. Now, it hurts me to say this. I respect this man's game. The fact that he did what he did with Marvin Harrison next to him tells you how good of a player Reggie Wayne was. But I have seen Reggie Wayne play in person, and he has killed my Titans so many times. It just yeah, hurts really- to say it, but I got to give a guy props. Yeah, that that's true. I didn't. I forgot about that. Be a division rival for for those years. Yeah, so. I have it. <laughs> yeah. Well, just like believe me, it was hurt me when you were talking about Dyson because when back when Dyson played, the the Oilers and the Titans were in the AFC Central playing against the Steelers every you know, twice a year. Oh, so yeah, uh, it, it it's. I still don't know how the Indianapolis Colts are in the AFC South. I don't know how that works. You know, but well, that's what I get to thinking. Uh, how, how, is Dallas, how is Dallas in the NFC East? You know, it's it's, a, well, it's the money. Yeah, <laughs> it's money. It's what it is. But look at his stats. Reggie Wayne, 100, 100 well, excuse me, 1,070 receptions. That's incredible. He had four seasons of over 100 receptions. Again, that's with Marvin Harrison next to him. That tells you that, that Peyton Manning's arm – probably fell off a few times and they had to super glue it back on. <laughs> and they had Edgar and James too. I mean, come on. How unfair is that to have those guys and, and Dallas Clark, he's, he's one of these 87s. If you've not seen Dallas Clark play, he was one of those guys that could get overlooked because you had Marvin Harrison and, and Reggie Wayne. Yeah. And I believe Edgar James got is in the Hall of Fame. Am, am I right on that? Yeah, I saw him get inducted uh, just as, like uh, about a month ago. He he went in this year, the class of twenty twenty. See, so there you go. That shows you that team. If it, you know, we're talking about the seventy Steelers. If it wasn't for the Patriots, the Colts would have more than one Super Bowl. Yeah, they would have they would have multiple Super Bowls because they had a team and their defense wasn't that shabby either. No, well, I think they're. Their defense had some good players on it, but I think it had some some question marks as a defense as a whole. I think that might be part of the reason why they didn't have the success. I mean, definitely they they had their money, all their chips were in that offensive side. You know, you had to surround Peyton Manning, you had to protect him, you had to give him some running backs. You know, and you had Falk during his time there. You had you know Edger and James uh, to replace Falk. You know, another Hall of Famer. Uh, you know, Wayne and and Marvin Harrison. Uh, Dallas Clark, like you said, but the defense, they had, you know, they had uh, uh, Feeney, uh, you know, got to, got to mention, uh, you know, um, Oh, what was his name? He was, uh, mine went blank, but he was a defensive tackle or defensive end. Um, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Uh, he, him and Freeney, uh, having them to combine, see that made life miserable for, for Kerry Collins and for Vince Young and for and for uh, Steve McNair, I remember those days. Well, the, the other player I got to mention it because he is from Erie, and I, I actually officiated his games when he was uh, was younger in high school. And that's Bob Sanders was their safety. Oh yeah, yeah, and he he was a hard hitting guy too. Came went to Iowa, but uh, yeah, he he's from Erie. Name dropping right player. now. There you go. You only get this on the Pigskin Dispatch. 
Well, you mentioned you mentioned you mentioned another Erie guy earlier, Fred Bolitnikoff, when you said that too. He's from Erie, also. Yeah, Bereggie Wayne. Yeah, I mean, I didn't realize he had over fourteen thousand yards of receiving, and I didn't realize he had eighty-two touchdowns. You know, that's in his career. That's just uh, remarkable. Now, if you want to take this into uh, consideration, Reggie Wayne, I want to say, looking, he is definitely in the top 10 on receiving yards. But again, if he was not with Marvin Harrison, who Marvin Harrison was all world, um, can you imagine what his stats would look like right now? Well, we, I, we actually had a conversation like this one with John Turney when we were talking about Jersey number 85s. We were talking about Mark Clayton and Mark Duper. And, uh, I, and I, I brought this point up to John. And I, I think it really goes for uh, Reggie Wayne and Marvin Harrison. I mean, they balanced each other. You couldn't double cover. If you double covered one, the other one's going to be open. Um, and you couldn't play straight man on them. And you had a you know a guy slinging the the, the ball around like uh, you know Peyton Manning, so I think maybe if there were if only one of them was on there and there was a, a couple you know C receivers on the other side, I don't know that they would have the numbers they have in, that we we're seeing today. You're I think they, right. I think they both opened up coverage for each other, just like Mark Duper and Mark Clayton did with the Marino throwing a rock. Uh, you know, Stallworth and Swan with Bradshaw throwing them. I think. You know, these are from different eras, but I think you couldn't double cover one because you get burned by the other. What I love about Pro Football Reference is it gives you the catch percentage. Mm-hmm. They get they targeted to catch it sixty eight percent in in uh, two thousand five. That means that for basically for every ten passes toward Reggie Wayne, he's going to catch seven. That's you, you don't see that. That is just. That's unreal. Right. <laughs> and, and, and you know, you think, well, that doesn't – if I was a quarterback who needed a reception, I'm going to look for a guy that's going to catch it 70% of the time before I look for a guy that's going to catch it 50. And this is Peyton Manning who had three guys, four guys, if you count James, who could do that. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, you look at that. The other stat I like looking at, especially with somebody like Wayne, is their uh, long touchdowns uh, of the year. And he his shortest, longest scoring ca- uh, catch was uh, 33 yards, and that was in 2012. Now, that was his worst. You know, every other year is up. Well, you know, m- many of them are in the 60s. He's in the 70s uh, once or twice, 80 at the end of his career. Uh, now, those are some big yardage uh, chunk yard plays that uh, he's a part of. So that's the last time you ran 80 yards with somebody chasing you. Uh, I I think I was probably chasing a food truck or something. The ice cream man was going down the street, maybe. uh, And I didn't catch him. So, (laughs) 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 so yeah, I I think uh, Reggie Wayne's probably another one. That's, uh, you know, a sure thing to put on this list as our. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I've got to throw out. I don't think he's going to be on this list, but he is one of my favorites simply because of what he did. Joe Horn. Mm, Yeah, great player. Joe Horn. Now, why is Joe Horn one of my favorites? Because he really tried to take up self, you know, 
self-celebration. You're celebrating a touchdown, and I believe this was in the Super Superdome. You call a touchdown pass, went underneath the – there's a foam around the uprights, picked it up. Underneath it, he had a flip phone, dialed the flip phone, and started talking after he scored a touchdown. <laughs> now, what in the world is a flip phone? Most people say, what is a flip phone? A phone that you flip in order to call. Google it. It's on. It's it's the old school stuff. Yeah, I think they're coming That's back. What, uh, oh my goodness! They're back in vogue. Okay, I'm, I'm ready for them to come back with the uh, with this with the rotary dial. I want them to come back. <laughs> yeah, most most kids don't know what a rotary dial is. That's uh, <laughs> oh, they see. I, I remember the rotary dial. The last thing you wanted to dial was somebody with a zero because you had to listen to go all the way around. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> I had a, a number I had to call quite often. I forget what it was, but there, the number was like, you know, zero, three, zero, zero, the last four digits. Yeah. What a oh, pain wow. in the neck that was. And you didn't have speed dial on a rotary phone. It was, if you, you had to dial up it. too, you yeah. had to hang up and do it over again. That's for sure. That Joe Horn had sure. a solid career. I believe he did. And he could be on the fringe of making this, but. When I look at Joe Horn, I think of that uh, that one play, and I remember him doing that. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, and it did, I forget what he did, but I know there was something really uh, a great act of kindness he did after Hurricane Katrina uh, to the the folks uh, down in uh, New Orleans, and I can't remember what it was, but it was something pretty uh, out of the ordinary and spectacular that was memorable. Of course, now I don't remember it, but uh, I do remember he was a part of something really nice for ah, the community. Well, if only we had the internet. Yeah, that's that's for sure. But uh, uh, according to fan, uh, whodatdish.com, uh, it it it's actually pretty neat. It says that uh, he he went and actually donated money. Okay. Uh, he went and donated some things. Uh, he went to play touch ground. He said, I was on the golf course when I got a call from my coach. He said, pack your clothes and get your family out of Dodge and tell them like this. There was nothing else to say. Organizations paid us as players, so we did what the organization told us. But, uh, yeah, it was actually pretty neat that when he got back to the, uh, to the Superdome and got back around, he, he went around helping people. Yeah, that – that, that's so I, I remember that sort of changed, you know, because I always sort of looked at him like with the phone thing. He was almost like a you know, Terrell Owens and Ocho Cinco were all in that same era. And you sit there and you say, OK, these diva wide receivers, they got to do something to you know celebrate and get themselves in trouble just to get attention. But yeah. then when Joe Horn did that after Katrina, I it changed my perception of him and uh, made me maybe enjoy the player much more. Yeah. Uh, for being a per- good person. See, I don't mind the flip phone as much as I mind what Trill Owens did to that guy's popcorn. You know how much popcorn cost? <laughs> and he dumped it all in his mouth and then threw the bot threw it down and went and paid for the guy's popcorn. I mean, come on. All, all that all that Joe Horn had to do was worry about roaming. <laughs> Well, I was talking more like Thrones with the Sharpie and oh, I think it wasn't he that he was the one with the Sharpie, right? He, he was, was the, the one with the Sharpie. And I don't know how you kept it in your sock that long. Of course, how do you get a flip phone in the, uh, the padding of the goalpost? I don't know. how do you Well, know. hey, it's, it's, it's one of those things that next time on the, on the, on the pigskin dispatch, we're going to do a little inside 
and we're going to do some investigation. We're going to find out. I wonder if Arnie will send us down to New Orleans on the company dime and let us uh, let's find out how that happened. Uh, some football forensics. Oh, there's your new podcast. <laughs> we'll find out how balls can be deflated, and we'll find out <laughs> we'll find out how fast a guy can actually run a hundred yard dash. There you go. There you go. In full pads. In full so, pads, absolutely. So you're gonna you're gonna be that test subject, and not me. So I'm the yeah, chase gonna the, I'll chase the ice cream truck. But uh, you're gonna see a 42 year old guy fall over after 10 yards. <laughs> it's gonna happen. All right. Well, yeah, Joe Horn. I think we'll we'll put him under some consideration here at yes. the end too. Maybe we can uh, talk about him and get him on this list too. There was I said there was two defensive players, and we already talked about Willie Davis. Claude Humphrey is the other one I had in mind. And actually, Claude Humphrey is in the Hall of Fame. I missed him being in the Hall of Fame, and I apologize for that. You know, this, this man, a defensive end, he played for the Atlanta Falcons and uh, for most of his career, uh, 10 years, came in in 1968 season. Uh, and then his last two, three years were with the Philadelphia Eagles. And what th- this guy had, you know, again, uh, John Turney and Nick Webster have him down for 130 sacks in his career. And gracious. And again, most of those seasons were 14 game seasons. And he had a couple years. He missed one complete year, 1975, with a knee injury. And he only played four games in 1978. Um, So very productive. And the thing that really amazed me is in his second to last year, 1980, I mean, so he's a 12 year veteran at this point with the Eagles, 15 and a half sacks in a 16 game season. That's pretty good for, uh, you know, at that point, an old timer, you know, <laughs> on the defensive line. I'm just looking at his awards. It it takes up a whole page. Golly. Yeah. Now, see, the, the problem with Claude Humphrey, of course, I see he was born in Memphis, Tennessee, so represent the Tennessee there. And he went to Tennessee State where my, my dad and my sister graduated college from. So there you go. And where Eddie George is now the, the coach. How about that? That's right. Uh, first round, third overall pick, 1968. The problem with Claude Humphreys, he played for the Atlanta Falcons. Now, you think, well, the Atlanta Falcons are a pretty solid team now. In the 60s and the 70s, they weren't. They weren't. The, the Falcons came into their own, in my opinion, at least, when they drafted Deion Sanders and they started doing the primetime thing. Claude Humphreys, I believe he was on the, what do they call that, the, the grits defense yeah, I think I think you're right. I think they did. Call it. The Falcons of the the mid '70s weren't too bad though. They had you know Steve Barkowski and you know, they they were a pretty decent team. They didn't make it far into the playoffs, but I, I know they had some playoff runs uh, during those things. Let's take a look at. Uh, of course, they don't have any playoff games uh, listed for Claude Humphrey, so maybe they didn't. Well, the, oh yeah, the yeah, they no, did. Yeah, I'm sorry. Here they do. Here it no, is. no, that's that's fine. the only problem with that is if you think about the '70s, the the, the the Falcons were not the team that they are now. They really didn't. They didn't put it together until the early '90s. Uh, and I'm looking at this. Some of the players that they had were not. They just don't jump off this, the page at you. And if I remember correctly, when did the Falcons start? Was it 1968? Yeah, I I believe it was. Yeah, because it was they were a battleground. Atlanta was between the AFL and the NFL. Might have been before. Might have been 66. Uh, Norman Brocklin was their coach in 68. And I remember hearing about Norman Brocklin's coaching. He was a much better quarterback than he was a coach. Yeah, and I stand corrected because I'm looking at Claude Humphrey's playoff record. 
six games in the playoffs he played and they were all with Philadelphia. So Atlanta did not make the playoffs in the seventies. Like I was thinking for some reason, boy, they, I'm, I remember Steve Barkowski and I remember, you know, Humphrey playing for them. And I remember, you know, they had the red helmets with the, the black Falcon on oh. it. Oh, go back, go back to those helmets. Go back to those. I want them to come back, and I want the old school Seahawks to come back. I like the red helmets. Those those were sharp. Oh, they were much better than the black ones. Even go back if you're going to go back and do do the primetime stuff again, please, and make sure MC Hammer is on the uh, sideline. I I think the black helmets must have come in like when June Jones was their coach. I think he was trying to change the whole perception of the franchise and. I think that's when they went to all black is when the June Jones was there. Now look at the, I'm trying to pull up the 2014 uh, hall of fame class and see where Claude Humphreys came in. And I can't really find it. I'm telling you what, if you make it to Walter Jones, okay, Walter Jones, I got the chance to meet Walter Jones in Aliceville, Alabama. If you come into the same class that probably the best, well, one of the top five offensive linemen of all time, you're doing something bright. You're doing something right. So yep. my hats off to Claude Humphreys there. Yeah, and I, I don't believe I can't believe I missed him being as a Hall of Famer too. I'm usually all over that. So all right. Uh Andre Reed, which was one of the best wide receivers of the eighties and nineties for the right. uh Bills. And uh I'll put one more in there and I'll uh, Michael Strahan, which I don't think the Giants would have won that Super Bowl without Strahan. The NFL sack leader, I believe, correct? This is Strahan. Uh, or is that Bruce Smith uh, ahead of him? I think I think Smith is ahead of him, but I'm not certain. I want to say that Strahan might have the single season but I, record. But I remember there was a big thing when Favre sort of gave himself up to Strahan. I was thinking that was for the record. Yeah, that was for the – yeah, I remember for, that. For the single season record, you think that, that was? for the single season. Okay, Strahan has 141 sacks, and I believe uh, – yeah Bruce, Bruce Smith Smith 200. Yeah, Bruce Smith is two hundred. Yeah, Bruce Smith is two hundred. So, and I don't think anybody. The only one that I think could break it is if, uh, oh, my mind went blank. JJ Watt actually stayed healthy. I think uh, he could have done it. Yeah, I think uh, well, Al Bubba Baker. I know with these unofficial stats that uh, Turney has, I know he's right in there with them. He's like in the hundred nineties. He's real close. Now, how, Darren? Educate me. How is that going to work? The, is this uh, considered unofficial? Yeah, they they're unofficial, and and John uh, says he's fine with that. He he just wanted the pleasure of being able to honor these uh, players in an era that uh, didn't have the stat, and uh, he he says he doesn't ever expect to see it become an official stat by the NFL, and he but he it was his labor of love to to get this done, and him and Nick Webster they teamed up, and you know they were at the. Pro Football Hall of Fames. They were at, uh, you know, organizations uh, headquarters and getting every game book and film that they could you know, get their hands on of NFL films. You know, Chris Willis helped them out a lot. Uh, Chris does a lot of contributions to, to the Pro Football Journal too, and uh, they just really all dug their, their heels in and just a, this tremendous task that uh, we get to enjoy sitting here talking about these guys. I respect that. Keep up the good work, fellas. Yeah, that most definitely. Okay, so we have um, talked about some some good players here. Those now are three Hall of Famers. I, I'm going to say we've got to put Claude Humphrey in there too. It's our fourth. Okay, so far I have Dave Casper, Willie Davis, Reggie Wayne. Did you agree yep. with that? Reggie Wayne. That's our that's our four that I have on there so and far. Claude Humphrey. Now I have one that I'd like to suggest. Okay, 
Keenan McCardell. Oh, yeah, great player. 11,373 yards and 63 touchdowns. I remember him playing for the Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers, the San Diego Chargers, and a little bit for the Washington Redskins. But most of the things I remember was when he played for Jacksonville with Mark Grinnell. That team from 96 to 2001 were just amazing. And, in fact, Jacksonville probably should have made it to the Super Bowl a couple of those years. That's the team in 96 that I remember beating my Broncos on the, on the team that I thought could just dominate the Super Bowl. And they should have. The, the Broncos should have won three in a row. Jacksonville came into Denver and beat the fire, beat the tar out of them. He did that for a span of five or six years, just playing at a high level. Keenan McCardell was just an amazing player. Yeah, he most definitely was. Now, I had to be tortured with this guy because, uh, you know, McCardell played four years with the Browns in the Steelers division. And then when Jacksonville came in the league, they were in the AFC Central. And he tortured us there uh, for another five or six years that they were in the same division. Yeah, the guy, guy just was a, a pain in the hind end, and he was like a, that clutch guy for whatever team he played for. You know, the, it seems like he was always making those big catches that uh, they needed on like a third and 12 or whatever. Oh, he, yeah. He was that go-to guy for all the, the quarterbacks he played with. And, and what gets me, I'm looking at his stats here. You don't play from 1992 to 2007 without being in insane conditioning. That's just that's amazing. That that is definitely true, definitely true. He had uh, two Pro Bowls in uh, that Super Bowl championship uh, while he was in the league. And the Super Bowl championship had to be had to be the Buccaneers. I'm thinking I'm probably really, 2003. I would say that the Buccaneers would be the one that he won the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, I, that would be it. That would be it because yeah. uh, San Diego and Washington had won one since uh, Joe Gibbs' time. In Cleveland, poor Cleveland. I can't say anything. <laughs> uh, but no, Keenan McCardell should be on that short list of, of potential. Him and Joe Horn off to the side. But I think he is one of those players that watching him play, you could just tell how good he was. He was just that good. I, I agree. Uh, yeah, let's put him, we'll, we'll mark him down and we'll come back to him, both those guys, Horn and McCardell. I think there's two other like slam dunks on this. And I these are probably. Uh, in addition to Reggie Wayne, I think these are the other two contemporary players that I think have a good shot at the Hall of Fame. We already alluded to one. We talked about Gronkowski right. uh, quite a bit. I think he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer when he if decides not, to hang it up. Be. And I think Travis Kelsey is on the, the trajectory to be that same kind of uh, tight end. That's, yeah, uh, I, I, was, uh, I was looking at him. On this list, uh, there's a Reddit sub post that has uh, the top 87 players to wear 87. And I saw him, and I did not realize Travis Kelsey was number 87. Without Travis Kelsey, is Kansas City as good as a, as, as they are right now? They're going to no. be good, but he makes them that much better. He, he is like their version of the possession receiver. They have the, the speedsters there, but he is there, and he's a tight end, but he's their possession guy. And Mahomes, I mean, really counts on him. Uh, who was who the quarterback that was there before Mahomes? Um, There's a guy, quarterback before Mahomes? Yeah, the oh, guy just Alex, played for Washington. Alex Smith. Alex, yeah, Alex, Alex Smith. Smith. Yeah, he, he was a go-to guy for Alex Smith as well. 
You know, the guy has six Pro Bowls under his belt so far, three all pros, Super Bowl championship, lost another Super Bowl just recently, uh, all decade team of the 2010s. And he's still, you know, he's only been in the league since 2013. That's- it's almost unfair about how some GMs can do that. And then some GMs, you know, picture Marcus Russell first overall. Think, think about this. He is only had two seasons of his NFL career where he wasn't in the Pro Bowl. That, that's unfathomable, you know. Wow. To, to me, and he's still going strong. If, if Mahomes plays like he is right now, there's no reason for Kelsey to even think about, you know, take pay cuts, take the hometown discount. You're going to win some Super Bowls, win, win more. The one guy that I would like to bring up, uh, he won't be on this list, but Ed McCaffrey. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great player. Ed McCaffrey is one of my favorite players of all time. He started with the Giants, but he went – now, most people know him as, as the father of Christian McCaffrey. But Ed McCaffrey, um, there is one play, and I think it might have been in the Super Bowl against the Packers – he laid out a guy. He he. Him and Hans Ward were probably the two dirtiest, hardest hitting uh, wide receivers of all time. He laid out a guy on a block, and you'll see him point down to the guy and basically say, "You stay there." <laughs> Ed McCaffrey was uh, the original Wes Welker. He was the guy that would go over the middle and get just nailed. He was small, but John Elway, he was kind of like Dwight Clark. John Elway knew where he would be because he was such a good route runner. He had such good hands. He was dependable. And uh, the best thing about receivers like Ed McCaffrey or, you know, even now there are some receivers like this, they didn't really say anything. They let the plates show how good they really were. Uh, It wasn't until – like Chad Johnson, uh, that you started seeing receivers try to make a big fuss. Lynn Swan wouldn't do it. John Stallworth wouldn't do it. Ed McCaffrey wouldn't do it. But Ed McCaffrey was part of the reason why I think that the Broncos put it together in a three-year span. He was one of those reasons. Yeah. Well, I, I one thing I, I think I'd like to maybe mention, though, he, he wasn't really a small receiver. He was a pretty big guy. He was six foot five, two hundred fifteen pounds. Okay, I was Wide thinking of something different then, but his size. You, know, you start comparing. I'm thinking, man, I'm always picturing this long, lanky guy going down there and you know having those. No, no, those, you're, you're right about the height. I apologize for that. Um, for going over the middle, two hundred fifteen pounds is not big. No, but he was tough as nails. That's, that's oh, absolutely uh, he was. And the the precise routes that he ran, especially when you have you know somebody like Elway firing a ball to you. And that what, what they call it, the LA tattoo or whatever. The LA Y. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. If yeah. you haven't heard that, LA threw the ball so hard that if you caught it on the tip of the ball, it would leave an indention in your hand. And they called it the LA Y because it looked like a Y. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think, as a matter of fact, they had one of the episodes of Peyton's Places. Uh, you know, he was the, uh, the guest on Peyton, Peyton Manning's program. And he, Peyton Manning asked him, you know, even at the advanced age at the always at the throw one and give him the, the, the Y on his hands. And he did it to Peyton Manning too, uh, you know, and 
you know, he's probably God, he's got to be 60 years old. I would think by now no <laughs> no, he had to put some Ben gay on his arm after that. It happens right. guys. It happens when you get older, things hurt. You're laughing, but ugh. that way, <laughs> that way for, well, anyway, that's, that's for another day. But if it wasn't for McCaffrey, Rod Smith, Shannon Sharp, Terrell Davis, one of my all-time favorite players ever, John Elway wouldn't have his two Super Bowls, but Elway put it together those last two years, and McCaffrey would, was part of the reasons, was part of the reason why he did it. Uh, I totally agree. Uh, now, I guess a couple other receivers. I, I've got probably three more that I know we definitely got to mention. One of them is Mushin Muhammad. Um, what a, oh. a spectacular guy, this guy. What a, When you talk about oh. uh, a receiver you can count on to catch a ball, this Love guy's one of them. Him. Love watching him with the, uh, with the Bears. Oh, gosh. Uh, when Cutler went to the Bears, uh, I think they might have had a year where they played together. It, just even watching it before that. <laughs> there, there goes the dog. Muhammad was such a good player that uh, you didn't have to worry about him dropping anything. Yeah, he. I think he really put uh, Jake DeHolm at uh, Carolina on the map, too, at the Super Bowl run they had uh, in the – I believe when Caroline went to the Super Bowl the first time with Dell Holmes at quarterback. And, you know, Musa Muhammad was definitely uh, the guy that uh, Dell Holmes always looked forward to when uh, they had the long yardage or had to get that, uh, you know, third and four. Uh, he was that possession receiver and just a big body, six foot two, 215, but just a great hands and a great uh, catch radius. Uh, you know, I'm not sure what the length of the man's arms are, but they have to be exceptional. Uh, 860 receptions in his career, 11,438 yards, oh, 62 touchdowns, uh, two Pro Bowls and one All-Pro for uh, the man they called Moose. Moose now, there Mahomes. is there is a trivia question that you can stump your friends with. Who brought – who was the uh, quarterback that took the, pac, uh, the, uh, the, the Panthers to the Super Bowl in – Early two thousands, right? Not too many people remember Jake Delone, right? Yeah, that's uh, he he had kind of a, a crazy career. You know, he was up and down. Uh, he kind of he was like a Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. You didn't know what quarterback you get because he had that great season taking them to the Super Bowl, and then what he had <laughs> one season where he had like throwing like three or four interceptions a game. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, a fine line. It, it was it was bad. Yeah. It was bad, but he uh, and he nearly won too. Uh, you you really look at that Super Bowl and think that the the Panthers should have won that Super Bowl, but the Patriots did what Patriots did. That's for sure. Uh, another receiver I wanted to talk about that I think is worth mentioning here is a uh, Ricky Prol. Um, you know, part of that the greatest show on turf uh, of the the Rams teams uh, for when they were St. Louis. I uh, played for multiple teams. We played, start off with Phoenix, uh, went to when Phoenix turned into Arizona, he was with them, Seattle for a couple of years, Chicago, St. Louis, Carolina, Indianapolis, the end of his career. But uh, this guy had, you know, just under 9,000 yards of uh, receiving 54 touchdowns, uh, won two Super Bowls. So nothing to, to forget there, you know, good, good uh, receiver there too. A couple more. Eric Decker, I watched him play with the Titans. He was very, very good player. Uh, married to Jesse James. So, guys, he, he did all right. 
Eric Decker was one of those receivers that you could count on. He didn't have a long career, but he was pretty good. Ben Coates. Uh, right. Ben, ben Coates, one of my favorite tight ends as well. Very, very good tight end during the time that the Patriots were becoming the Patriots. I believe he went to a Super Bowl in 96. Yeah, he went to Super Bowl 96 with uh, uh, Drew Bledsoe as the quarterback. So, you know, he, he did all right, too. Yeah. Um, another one we got to make sure we mentioned Jordy Nelson. I mean, because what a, a brilliant career he had. You know, he, he wore that jersey for 10 seasons. And, you know, J- Jordy, you know, we remember him as a Packer. I think he spent his final year as a Raider. Uh, yeah, he did in 2018. But uh, we remember that was uh, that was an Aaron Rodgers guy, you know. Uh, but I was surprised he only had one Pro Bowl and one, you know, had the one Super Bowl championship. Uh, we'll forget. I forget who they beat, so we don't want to talk about it. Um, but that, <laughs> had that Pro, Pro Bowl, and it was 2016's AP Comeback Player of the Year. You know, if that nasty injury he had that season before. Oh, gosh, I remember that. Yeah. Oh, Jordy Nelson is one of those guys that I don't think of him as a Raider. You don't think of Joe Montana as a – or Joe Joe Montana as a Chief or Joe Namath as a Ram. I don't think of Jordy Nelson as a Raider. I just don't. I I think in all the moves that the Packers organization has upset their fans over, you know, and I'm talking, you know – Brett Favre and you know, things like that. I think when they had to decide to let Jordy Nelson cut loose with him and uh, go with those other, those younger receivers they had, and he got went with Oakland. I don't even think he didn't want to be there. None of the Packers fans want him to be there. You know, Aaron Rodgers didn't want him to be in Oakland. Um, but uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, you know, you don't want to remember those days when there's when the team they didn't want to be with. You know, you want to remember no. him as, as, a, as a Packer because that's what he was. Three years, he had over 10 touchdowns. And that is – and looking at his yards per reception, 18.6 in 2011, um, which tells you that there was – I wish they had they reset the, uh, the separation between the receiver and the cornerback because Jordy Nelson was quick. He wasn't the fastest, but he had a way to – to dart in and get open. He was a great route runner, was able to get in under the coverage, especially if you played uh, zone against him. Jordy Nelson was one of those guys that could find an open opening in the zone. He knew where the holes were, the, the, the weak parts were. So if you're looking at 18.6, that's, you know, that's a, that's a first down a pop. You want to know why Aaron, Aaron Rodgers didn't want him to leave. If you give up 18.6 yards of reception – that's that's pretty harsh. Yeah, I mean, he averaged uh, you know ten years, seventy-two touchdowns. That's over uh, ten touchdowns a season. And his first three seasons, he only had a total of six for his first three seasons. And in Oakland, he only had three touchdowns. So it's those years in between. You know, when you're uh, leading the league with fourteen touchdowns in 2016, and you're a comeback player of the year, thirteen the year before that, fifteen touchdown receptions in 2011, you know, that uh, definitely draws some attention to you. And uh, he had another real nice player, Jordy Nelson at the Would wide you, receiver position. Uh, let, let, let me put you on the spot here. Uh, okay. Jordy Nelson's not a hall of famer. I, I get that. You get that. He is a right. really good hall of famer, but not a pro football hall of famer. 
you do you believe that you have to take a man's entire career into consideration or do you take say four or five years of his height into consideration when looking at somebody for the whole thing you know what i i don't know what puts you in the hall of fame i don't know you know I mean, some people say you got to be a good player and you have, have to have the Super Bowl rings. And I think that's true in some cases. Um, but I, there's uh, great players that don't have Super Bowl rings that are in there. Um, you know, just ask the, you know, anybody from the 1970s Vikings teams in the Hall of Fame or the 90s Bills teams. You know, no Super Bowls, but there uh, are Dan Marino. Uh, but I, th- and I don't know that they have a set criteria the, to get people in. Because I think there's probably a lot of players that are not in the Hall of Fame. I can think of probably five or six right now that are probably better players than some that are in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. Put Ken Riley in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I, I agree. He's, Jim he's Marshall, one of the ones I'm talking about. Jim Marshall is, needs to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Al Bubba Baker, Elsie yes. Greenwood. Yes. Uh, I think these are the guys that deserve to be in. And I, and I think Elsie Greenwood, you know, it's hard, it's hard for me to say this and people I'll, I'll probably get the hate mail after five Steelers going in the hall of fame this past summer, but Elsie <laughs> Greenwood, I think is slighted because he has so many other of his teammates that are in the hall of fame. I mean, there's a lot of hall of famers that run a defensive team with him. And then you go to the offensive side, there's a lot of Steelers from the seventies in the hall of fame. Um, I think that's sort of against him. I think Ken Riley slighted because the team he played on was not a very good team. I think that's, he wasn't, you know, they weren't on television every week and the sports writers who I believe are the main voters for the hall of fame. They didn't get to see him every week. Uh, you know, Al Bubba Baker played an era where they didn't celebrate the, the uh, accomplishments by statistics of a defensive lineman. Um. I I think that's some reasons why these guys aren't in, but it's time to get some of these players that played longer than 30 or 40 years ago, just like they did for the 2020 class. They only did it because of Centennial, but they need to get, make a move and get some of these players on there. Well, you know, we've lost some of them and they'll never see themselves getting the gold jacket on, but there's still some of them. Yeah. Ken Ken Riley died last year. Right. I think Elsie uh, Greenwood passed also. He's uh, another one. You know, it, we just got to get these guys in there while they can enjoy it and they can, their families and their fans can see them put that jacket on and uh, get, you know, the bronze bust. And uh, yeah, you, know, uh, you look at these guys, Dave Casper is in the Hall of Fame. Was he the best tight end at that time? He was top five, easy. But with the Raiders, how they played, they were on TV a lot. You're right about that. Willie Davis, the Packers were football in the 60s. They were. And you look at Claude Humphrey. Claude Humphrey came about in a time where football started to pick up steam, especially in the South, because college football, if you go below Kentucky, it's college football. This is not a pro football area. It's college football. Claude Humphrey came into a college football built era. I mean, you're looking at uh, Georgia, University of Georgia. If you go into Georgia right now, I know from my family down there, they're not Falcons fans. They're Bulldogs fans, and they like the Falcons. 
But Claude Humphrey came into a situation where he was playing on a team that weren't getting the attention. They were new, but it's a Bulldogs world. And then even in Atlanta, they shared the, the limelight with a, with a Georgia Tech team that actually, I believe, in the 60s was pretty good or could have been. I, I'm not certain about that. In 70s, I believe they were too as well. So there's a lot of things that if you look at, a lot of these men are, are getting slighted because, well, the time that they were playing, TV, TV. Uh, growing up in the 80s, Darren, you know this as well, you had a game at 12 o'clock, a game at 3 o'clock, and Monday night football. And you didn't get to choose. You didn't have Sunday ticket. You had to watch what they were going to watch. And what were people watching in that 70s and 80s? You saw the Cowboys play. You saw the uh, Raiders play. You might have seen the Jets play. Uh, but you didn't see the Falcons play very much. You didn't see the Bengals play very much. Uh, you certainly didn't see uh, the Buccaneers play because they were just playing bad. So a lot of these guys that should get the attention are not getting what they deserve. Yeah, I mean, case in point, Super Bowl thirteen, the Steelers against the Cowboys, 1978, I think it was played, so it was a 77 season. Between the two sidelines and uh, players on the field, 25 of those people are in the Hall of Fame. Now, that's including coaches, uh, you know, personnel, directors, um, you know, and the players. But 25 guys of two teams that were on television every Sunday on a national audience. And if you look at that, um, if, uh, you know, I mean, I can't even think of another Super Bowl. Let's say like that, that Carolina team with uh, Del Holm. Uh, how many of those players are in the Hall of Fame? They didn't really have a national audience all the time, even though they were a very good team. And maybe they'll get one or two players that'll be in the Hall of Fame. Julius Peppers deserves to be in the Hall of Fame if he is not there. He deserves right. to be. Right. But, you know, they're not going to have uh, players, maybe Muhammad, you know, who knows. Uh, but, there, that's that's what I'm saying, and I think that has something to do with it. And it's unfortunate, uh, but I think that's part of it. And it's it's just human nature because that's who we watched, and the sports writers are people just like us. That's who they watch, and uh, especially back in the '70s, before you know NFL ticket and you know the internet, uh, you didn't know some of these players, especially West Coast. I mean. I only knew the Raiders. I, I, I really didn't know the other teams and players on the other teams on the West Coast because we didn't really get to watch them that often in my market. You know, we, we, we had we had the East we Coast didn't teams. Get anybody. We didn't get anybody down here because we didn't have any. I think I might have seen the Falcons play a lot because it was a, considered a local market in, in Dixon. But wherever Pat Summerall and John Madden were, that's what we watched. And I'm glad because I believe that we were spoiled back in the 80s listening to those guys go. They were awesome. Right. All right. Well, we got to get uh, – I guess we got to get down to business here. We got to – I think – I don't. I can't think of any other players to mention unless you no, have any that we haven't talked about. I think we have five. We got five that are shoe wins. Well, okay, maybe I'm missing the fifth. Then I have our four that we talked about a little bit. We have Willie Davis. Did, did, did you put Gronk in? Oh yeah, Gronk. Okay, Gronk. Okay, yeah, definitely okay. We'll put Gronk on. So there's our five. So we have uh, with Gronk, we have Willie Davis, Dave Casper, 
uh, Claude Humphrey and Reggie Wayne. Right. Now, now some of the other ones that we talked and we said under consideration. Uh, uh, Travis Kelsey is, if you ask me, I would put him in. I, I would too. I agree with okay. you. So let's put okay. him on a six. Let's, let's put him in. Now, again, I want Kevin Dyson flipping the coin. He's, he's He is there in my in my heart. Kevin, you're there. Okay. Uh, but then you have Joe Horn and Keenan McCarnell. And what do you think about those two fellas? Well, I, I'm, I'm sort of on the fence about Horn. I think Keenan McCardell, I think, definitely should be on there. Well, let's, I, I agree with you on Keenan. Joe, uh, I just love his flip phone. That's all. That's the big thing. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to Horn here, but I, I think McCardle, I think uh, Muhammad should be. I mean, that's one that I would say. I mean, with his statistics that he had, I, oh, I yeah. think I agree. So that, that takes us to eight if we put him on. Okay. Now we get into what I'm thinking is probably a bunch of guys that are sort of in the same boat. And I think, you know, Dyson's in there. I think Horn, like you said, Dwight Clark. Interesting. Um, Do you take and, Dwight and, Clark for that one play and say that you, his, you the history you made makes you one of the top 87, the more 87? Uh, I would probably also say, you know, McCaffrey, uh, Jordy Nelson, yeah, uh, Ricky Prohl. Yeah. I think they're, they're, I think they're all in that sort of that bunched up in there in my mind. And I can't think of who, if I was going to take two of them, I don't know which two that would take. I mean, I guess I sort of lean towards Dwight Clark because what he accomplished in the team game, but um, that's why I just said, that's how guys are getting into hall of fame by being you know, noticed because they're on TV every week, but he Dwight stands Clark, out because. Dwight Clark is was Jerry Rice before Jerry Rice. He was Joe Montana's top receiver at that point. And I'm trying to think of anybody who was the second or third receiver on that list. And I can't think probably, of anybody. Probably Roger Craig. Yeah. Roger Craig. Good gracious. Of course, that'd be a good one to have as a backup. Yeah. Um, I, I, was John, was John Taylor there before Rice? Was John T- Taylor older than? They, I know they were contemporaries, but they he were, might have been there I a couple believe years. They would have been about the same time. I'm not certain, but I'll, every time I think of John Taylor, I think of that reception over the middle against the Bengals. Right. Uh, they everybody was doubling Jerry Jerry Rice, and they get it to him. Uh, Dwight Clark, I've, if you're going to put him on the same level as Gronk, I, I don't think he's. I don't think he's there. I don't think he's there. I think he had that plain a, a good career, but I don't know if he's one of the top to wear 87. Okay. Uh, I don't know, but I can be changed. My boat can change pretty easily. Well, okay. you but you like horn. So let's, let's go ahead. Let's give horn our ninth spot. All right. And I'm, I'll, I'll give Clark the 10th. You gave me horn. I'll give you Clark. Okay. I, well, let, let's, I, I, here's where I'm torn though. I, I like as much as I like Clark, I like Ricky Prohl. Oh. And I also like um, McCaffrey. You know, I think they, oh. they're they all different players. Uh, but, but see, if you're going to go with pure stats, it's I believe Clark is a better player than McCaffrey was. Okay. I I think you sold me then. All right, let's, let's go with McCaffrey as our 10th then. So I'll just run them down real quick here. 
uh, Willie Davis, Dave Casper, Reggie Wayne, Claude Humphrey, uh, Musha Muhammad, Keenan McCardle, Rob Gronkowski, Travis Kelsey, uh, Joe Horn, and Dwight Clark, as I have as our 10. You know what? I, I think that's a pretty good team right there. I, I agree. I agree. That was a lot of hard work. That was uh, some good players. That was fun. That yeah, was fun. Definitely. And there's a, guys from a lot of different eras over the last 50 years. So it's, uh, that's good when you can do that. And I Talk learned that this. I'm going to have to look at Claude Humphrey a lot closer. That is, uh, that's one thing I've enjoyed about your, your numbers, uh, your, your best player by numbers, is that you bring up people that I have heard of but never watched or never did a lot of research on, mainly because a lot of the guys that you've talked about are like a Claude Humphrey that were on a subpar team but played great. Uh, you know, there's players on the Buccaneers in the 70s that were really good. Salmon, I believe it was his name, one of them. Who knows about him because – they were on the Buccaneers. The Falcons, the same thing. Claude Humphrey, I'm going to have to watch some of his play. Well, yeah, I, I, I think you, you definitely have to because uh, he was a good player. And I mean, even even his last three years at the Eagles, he was he was substantial. And uh, I'm glad uh, I'm glad he was in the Hall of Fame. I'm, you know what? You know why I don't have him under the Pro Football Hall of Fame doesn't recognize him as a number 87, and he wore the number for 14 years. That's that's weird. Hmm. Well, Some, somebody made a clerical error. Can yeah. you go in there and edit that and say, hey, do you know who I am? I'm yeah, there. Hey, you need to change uh, that. I'll, I'll be making a phone call in the morning. We'll, we'll get this yeah, straightened you, out you, here. You've got the president <laughs> online, don't you? They'll, they'll ban me from the state of Ohio as soon as I make those phone calls. <laughs> 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 but um, yeah, but Jeremy, thank you very much for doing that. Now, I have, uh, I'm hoping we can, uh, we have you da- jotted down for the number 90s. I, I don't yes. know if you remember signing up for that. Yes. And I think um, I've, I'm hoping I can twist your arm to come on and, on one of our other series talking about uh, these great games and hobbies that are affiliated with uh, football. And uh, I have you- a, I have a close relationship with the tech mobile game. I have a very fond relationship with tech mobile. And I believe that that's what we're going to talk about. Yes, it is next week. Uh, it, it's one of those games that I still have the codes from when I played it on the original Nintendo Entertainment Center system, and they still work. <laughs> and uh, that's one of the, they didn't have a save system in it; they had codes. But that's for that's a little teaser. That's what we call a teaser. Well, yeah, that's for. I, I'm excited to talk to you about it, and I can't wait to, to learn about Tech Mobile because I'm going into this not knowing a whole lot about it, just like uh, a lot of these other uh, games and hobbies, and I'm getting educated by our experts. So I'm, I'm excited to hear about it. So look for that forward uh, in the next couple of weeks here. We'll be, we'll be talking on both those things with Jeremy. Uh, you can also make sure you check him out on the Sports History Network, the Football is Family. Uh, check the show notes out of this episode, and you can take you right over to the Football's Family on Sports History Network and your favorite podcast provider. Uh, make sure you listen to Jeremy. Uh, you're on. You're on weekly or every other week. Well, Jeremy? I'm going to try. I'm trying the weekly with the flood in with life. Um, <clears throat> there won't be one on this week. Uh, life is just getting in the way. But, but we're going to get back on the habit of, of weekly. And I'm trying to talk my wife into doing the introduction for it. So 
you'll hear her great voice introducing the Football's Family podcast. Well, another great reason to listen to it. Yeah, yeah. If you if you think uh, you know, if you can't handle my voice, you can handle hers and just tolerate mine. But uh, yeah, Darren, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, well, the pleasure is all mine, and I, the appreciation is all mine. I, I couldn't do it without you, my friend. So we'll talk to you real soon, and uh, thank you very much. No problem. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians. You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.